here we are yet again. It's that time, that place in the universe for the count it one, two, three, four, fourth episode of Iris of RI. I am still the host, Zycon Ebonflow. And today I'm sitting down with this beautiful soul, Matthew Ryan Leslie. We met, has it been like two or three weeks now, I think? Yeah, about two or three weeks now. Two or three weeks, we met at this beautiful, I like to call it a dry hippie bar, but I think they probably technically call it an elixir lounge in Sebastopol, California, called the Soft Medicine Sanctuary. Um, mm -hmm. He was just sitting at the little counter, and I just like walked up <laughs> and saw him playing a, a video game that I used to play. And then we just got right, right into a whole little conversation, and I ended up buying him a... It was a cookie or a brownie? I think it was a cookie. Actually, I didn't cookie. pay for it. I had to go back and pay for it the next day because I forgot to pay for it, but I ended up paying for it. Oh, no crimes were committed. And uh, got into it. He's, a, he's an artist, uh, originally photography, I believe, if I recall correctly, and then um, somehow kind of transitioned or tr uh, translated that over eventually into sound. It's sound healing. Runs a church in... San Diego, right? Mm -hmm. San Diego, California area, um, which is called, if you'd be so kind, so I don't actually know. The Church of Sacred Sound, and it's in uh, San Diego proper, so it's uh, right outside of downtown. Well, there you go. For all the interested parties who, who see this and are curious about it, I'll put a, I'll put a link in the description or in the show notes on all the other platforms. But that is to, it's a very new uh, friendship and relationship that we are just uh, fostering and I will allow uh, Matthew to take it from there if you want to add to what I've already put out. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, yeah, the church is, uh, has become a, a beautiful creation of uh, what I've witnessed and experienced in my lifetime uh, being able to be shared with others. Focusing around sound, vibration, and frequency, it really embodies a new space for people to be held in their authenticity and really represents a new perspective of sovereignty, uh, which has really been the main focus that I've done throughout all of my artistic endeavors, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just super grateful to be present on this uh, podcast and to you know, share, share whatever can be shared for people to continue to learn and grow and expand. For sure, man. Beautiful. So the fundamental first question that I like to start with all, all of the artists around here, what is art to you? Art is a manifestation of an individual's connection to the frequency that binds all things in the universe so a, a representation of an individual's relationship with that frequency many people might refer to that as god uh, others might refer to that as love the frequency uh that binds all things that is uh omnipresent, uh, infinite in its nature, what I would call uh, art coming forth from the heart 
into the body, into the nervous system, into physical action, and into what we call and identify this as physical reality. So that that's what I would call art. And it, it could be anything, whether, you know, painting, music, um, poetry, writing, anything that comes forth from that space of harmonizing with the frequency that binds the universe together is what I would call art. I haven't had anyone describe it that way yet. So that was, that was really cool, man. I guess now I'm curious. I mean, I said it a little bit in the beginning, but what brought you to art as like a modality or a vehicle for self-expression or self-identity, I guess? Yeah, so I think the easiest way to really convey that is in the story of my own personal journey. And originally having been uh, born in Mobile, Alabama, uh, in a small, you know, relatively small town and, uh, you know, not very financially wealthy family. And uh, presented the opportunity to explore photography with it having been like a common theme uh, and, present in my family grandparents photographers mom also a photographer so you know took it upon myself to explore action of like hereditary expression uh and like does does the photography run in the bloodline you know kind of mentality mm -hmm. uh and so i started doing some photography to really you know just explore that and uh, people just had some comments like hey you got a good eye you know it seems like you might so I, I took those to heart you know uh and began to explore the modality of photography as as an art form and what my art was capturing and and providing an image of was uh authenticity of the models that i photographed and some some essence or element of their unique vibration and like to convey a message in harmony with that. That led to the exploration of artistic nude photography in the state of Alabama. <laughs> and uh, led to an individual called, uh, named uh, Christina Litton. And uh, she and I had some wonderful photos uh, created, uh, both uh, of just uh, pure, innocence and some more explorative and slightly after that photo shoot about two weeks after that photo shoot I had gotten word that she had passed away in her sleep from a bladder infection and her sister had found her that that morning when she returned uh, and so when I got that information I immediately brought all the photos to her parents and offered them you know just like please just take them you know i don't i, I don't want anything for them just they're yours very unique she, uh, she lived right next to my childhood friend's home which was really you know they knew that her it was just there was a lot of interesting interconnectedness and what i found you know now coming to see you know in hindsight what my art truly represents uh and i can talk more about that later um but it is like authenticity and like truly seeing someone um, for, for who they are, like empowering them to 
to be in a thriving mindset, a thriving state of being. And I, to be able to witness my first art show <laughs> being her funeral uh, was quite unique um, because all of my art was what was used to convey uh, the story of her life and her joy and um, who she was to people. And so I, I'm like, as an artist, witnessing in the shadows uh, people's reactions to, you know, my art manifests the authenticity and a reflection of someone else. And so that continued by uh, the family then offering me in compensation for the photos, uh, her 96 Ford Explorer, Christina's 96 Ford Explorer, her vehicle. And from that moment, I just felt this intuitive call that it was time for me to leave Alabama and uh, began traveling using photography to fund my travels uh, and exploring this question what's your story mm-hmm. and really beginning to like identify a story with the photos that i was capturing to truly reflect what i saw within the person and to try to harmonize what i saw with their authenticity and find this unique balance between my perception of someone and the, their perception of themselves and try through the art of photography to provide a reflection of that beauty uh, to them and, and to others. And so that has like throughout the years of photography and travels and explorations led to becoming a, a yoga teacher and uh, teaching acro yoga, uh, teaching dance, um, having many different modalities, uh, including that of sound healing, that allow and empower an individual to be fully uh, awakened to their own sovereignty and personal life path uh, without any chains or, or binds from society and its conditional programming for existing the ways that is desired by, you know, powers that be. So that that's that's you know kind of my artistic journey and how it's evolved in a small amount of time. So I'm just curious, what led you to transition from what is it? It's not because I've heard it it broken down that there's like performative art and I can't remember for the life of me right now. I'm gonna look back at this in in, in the near future and be like, why couldn't I remember that word? But it's like performative art. The, like music or dancing or uh, comedy, like you're in front of the crowd. And then the other mm-hmm. word that I can't remember right now is uh, like, I guess, most, like I would imagine like photography or writing or like painting or sculpting. Wow, I'm literally, I'm just, just keep drawing a blank on that, but whatever that other version of art is, what led you to transition from that form of art to the sound? The sound healing, I guess. Yeah, it's a good question. It has been a natural evolution towards it with the desire to empower an individual to witness their own authenticity in a space of safety, you know, unconditional acceptance, unconditional love and acceptance for that person as they are to be able to see themselves 
it has led from photography to acro yoga, right? Uh, I was taught acro yoga by some little bitty girl who picked me up and tossed me around. And by doing so, I was able to see subtle nuances for uh, micro expressions of subconscious present within that exercise. So the act of acro yoga engages uh, trust, communication, uh, body awareness, and those subtleties through that exercise also reflect trust issues, <laughs> um, a, a lack of self-awareness, aggression, stubbornness. Uh, all these things are very subtle, uh, sometimes not so subtle, <laughs> but they show up uh, in those exercises. And so I, I began to see through teaching that uh, and teaching dance and, and learning about different Different forms of dance and uh, expression, how the baseline of what it is that I offer people wasn't just in photography. That was one of the many facets that I would provide a reflection of their authenticity through an image. And these other exercises began to just develop naturally as I continued my travels and explored. So, Acro Yoga became like an effective avenue for you know relationship counseling and you know helping people become aware of their communication dialogue in layman's terms I use this way to express it so you're using your arm to support right mm -hmm. the person will often have their arm bent and um you gotta straighten your arm my arm is straight <laughs> look at your arm <laughs> Oh, it's not straight. <laughs> uh, and rarely do we have people that are saying it is straight. And it's like, okay, well, do they have a physical disability? Maybe that's as straight as they can straighten it, right? And so even still, when it, the perspective of stubbornness might exist, there may be some hindering factor. And throughout those avenues that led to what I've developed now and as a healing practice, becoming a conscious observer, you know, conscious observer, uh, healing, healing healing from becoming aware of yourself and aware of your own programmings, aware of conditionings, thought patterns and perspectives that maybe didn't originate within your own reality and empowering an individual to have what we would identify as sovereignty and reprogram themselves of their own free will uh, to rewrite their own story, you know. What is your story? What has been your story? And what do you want your story to be now? Uh, so that's what has really evolved my art form to be really in, like my medium is humans. And the, the art form itself is in empowering the, uh, an individual to see themselves and love themselves. So yeah, really focused on experiences regardless of what they are that I do that very nature, you know, it, empower people to see themselves and love themselves. Uh, and that's been through photography, through dancing, through acro yoga, through neurolinguistic programming, through sound healing, through cacao offerings, different types of ceremonies, and uh, the assisted facilitation of uh, psychedelic medicine as well. Um, so there's there's a lot of avenues for cultivating a space that allows one to truly be 
in their own authenticity and, and be able to witness it, be able to witness what feels good, what doesn't feel good. And uh, that's, yeah, that's what, that's what my art is, is uh, painting, painting a canvas of someone knowing their truth by clearing, clearing, and then and embodying love and excitement. And so like the, the healing practice itself has three modalities, uh, awareness, compromise, and courage are, I feel, the three key fundaments for creating change within any human being. They must become aware of what is the, the hindering factor, whatever it may be. And then through that awareness, come to a compromise, an understanding of what's necessary in order to achieve desired results something must be done if what we have become aware of is that the thing there is something that's not being done something that's hindering it you know there must be a solution um, and we have to be open receptive towards that solution being identi identified uh, and then from there uh, empowering them through life coaching through uh, you know talks or um, workshops what have you to have the courage to really step into this new form of themselves and it really, it really, as with many things in life, as, as with many artists, right, reflects aspects of my own personal journey uh, and stepping into this version of myself to support others, stepping into this version of themselves and, and then the fractal nature of, by, of the act of doing so. And, you know, many arts, artists will have their own personal expression of life's beautiful experiences uh, manifest in the ways that they present their art to the world and and want others to receive it so yeah it's it's very exciting all, all this is now manifested fully into the development of my production company echo phi and cultivating experiences in addition with the church of sacred sound that focus on empowerment of humanities, knowledge of sound vibration and frequency being the unifying factor of us all. The, the language we all speak, no matter what tonality or dialect, you know, the frequency and the sounds are, are what we connect with. So yeah, that's, that's the driving mission now. It's all transformed from the original foundation of Oh, I wonder if I would be a good photographer or not. <laughs> right, and right, it's right. just beautiful just, to witness, you know. The only, the, the just the little contrarian in my brain, the little Hayoka Shama in the back of my subconscious was like, well, except for the deaf, because they can't hear. But even then, they can still feel vibration, but they just don't experience it the same way that the people who can hear can. But indeed, indeed, and we all have our own unique perception of that sound as well. You know, there's there's agreed upon data that we can say this is at a particular hertz. This you know has this structure. Yet we we may all hear it slightly differently, uh, mm. and that would be the instance of say someone being like tone deaf, right? For that matter, uh, and not just deaf. Uh, but yeah, every every opportunity to really witness that sound can be that unifying language, right? Um, even if someone can't hear it. They can they can feel it, you know. They'll feel it in their physical body if it's presented right. And and I have a lot of people express that to me, you know, with the didgeridoo and my facilitations, uh, that they feel that happened this afternoon actually. Uh, 
the sensation of the vibrational frequency kind of meeting this layer on their physical body. And then there's a moment where that kind of dissipates. It's like, it's like where a water droplet and a water droplet are like meeting each other. And there's like slight surface tension where they kind of, you know, bounce off of each other, but then all of a sudden, boop, and they become one. Uh, and so this individual is referencing something that is, you know, really represents what we do uh, and, and what, you know, is offered by the didgeridoo and as my art form as a whole, vibrating at the frequency of the individual to like have that cohesive merger. And then by doing so, knowing what is present to be able to provide a reflection of them to witness and then go about their way, you know, like no one at the same time says that that reflection is them other than them. And so my goal and my, my vision for people is to, to work with them and use kind of what I reference as a, uh, a puzzle piece, jigsaw puzzle, right? We're, we're identifying these puzzle pieces that reflect aspects of one's life journey, uh, traumas or joys, what have you, all, all, all around. And effectively identifying whether or not these pieces fit within that picture. And when we have enough pieces, the picture starts to form. We ask more specific questions, get uh, very in-depth with the, you know, is it supposed to be turned this way or this way? You know, let's find how that piece fits in. If it does, maybe it doesn't. I'll take it out, find something else, right? Really work with the individual to see themselves. Right? What, is that? what does that mean? It's all up to them. Uh, and And once it's, seen that we can go from there yeah i just wondering for clarity's sake because i got a little lost in the transition from so you're saying the person was experiencing the didgeridoo that through like uh compressing or the melting together of the energy from the didgeridoo and their own personal internal narrative or story that they can then through their own in integrity or own authenticity come to an, a better understanding of themselves and then integrate that experience into the the mosaic uh story of yes. their life they built exactly so the the metaphysical aspect of a sound healing journey is uh, oftentimes involved with astral travel and so we cultivate a space of their own exploration and really empower them to go on their own journey in their own metaphysical, spiritual, mental spacecraft that they've cultivated for themselves and, and go through the caverns of their subconscious and explore the depths of uh, perhaps past life experiences, her hereditary experiences, to really identify like their soul's personal journey and what involvement it's had over its lifetime. And so that data, right? Everything in life has data. But one of the most valuable resources and assets in today's society, it's always been. But that data is then presented to them in that metaphysical space during the sound healing, as well as in the practice that I've cultivated and the facilitations for clients. The reflection of what that information had for them and so that is kind of like 
placing someone on a journey and they they walk up to a pond and they see a reflection of themselves so the reflection that they see is what is cultivated through sound vibrations and frequencies clearing clearing energies shaking them away and allowing their authenticity to be present so that when they look in that pond they see themselves regardless of what they might see physically they see themselves what does that mean who who are they that's like entirely the, up to them their, high, their higher self or their like the most authentic version of themselves that they're able to come to an understanding about i guess is what they would see what we're hoping that they will see in, in the pond hoping in the past and experiential data has now shown through these experiences this is the result people are are experiencing and so they are seeing themselves relative to their interest in seeing themselves at a deeper level how how deep do they really wish to see themselves you know right. uh, that that's entirely selective to the individual in that present moment uh, and that's why every every offering and every experience can be slightly different for uh, each person and so that's specifically with sound healing and, and doing an alchemization of people's energies to be something that really brings forth a self-empowerment and being loved for who they are you know like an example being someone telling them like in a bully type dynamic that they are not good enough that they're not worthy that they don't deserve something right these spaces tend to allow someone the opportunity to shed free from those things and to trust that they are worthy they are good enough they are uh, perfect as they are and to empower people to strive to be better uh that's evolution that's how it's, you know how we grow and so that's where uh, the practice i developed becoming a conscious observer helps people take that next step you know really start to embody the life of thriving and expanding to their fullest potential we don't tell you what that is we just cultivate the spaces that enable you to discover it that's, that's far out i love that man i love that a lot part one as you were as you were explaining going on with the story or the experience of cultivating those spaces uh thought bubbled out, out, out of my subconscious that i want your perspective on do you think the language of sound like the primordial or instinctual layer of our mind and spirit translates a spiritual significant meaning beyond the conscious culturally programmed mind into their being as they're going through their healing well i i, I guess I, I i've seen it or experienced it um in ayahuasca journeys where i feel as if there's a archetypal or like original realm of, of thought or emotion or the place where he quote unquote heaven i don't know if you could describe it in that way or using those terms but from that place that the information or the data is through the sound specifically is moved into people's beingness to allow them to facilitate as a catalyst for growth and personal development and change yes 
uh, it's the idea that that sound and vibration can can affect somebody emotionally. Uh, you know, go to a movie theater and and watch this incredible movie, and the sound will bring you to tears. And the context from the movie and the actors as well. However, the sound is the most penetrating factor, and information can be shared telepathically through frequency. Uh, the the frequency that the brain emits uh, during the neural firing uh, of a thought uh, can be received and detected um, by other parties. So the act of having a vibration, a frequency, allowing someone to really connect with themselves and understand themselves better and to be able to convey data, you know, and the data that I reference is that of unconditional love and acceptance through sound through frequency uh yeah definitely 100 percent um and and we're kind of witnessing that be discovered more through the use of frequency to pinpoint specific emotions just to pinpoint specific instances to to reprogram thought patterns and uh emotional patterns that are causing suffering for someone, you know. So the sound is really becoming and has always been and becoming in today's society, especially through, you know, our hands, uh, the foundation for healing as a whole, both on a sound healing level and on more advanced scientific levels and mathematical levels for precise use of sound healing very targeted vibrational frequencies towards cancer cells, towards cells that are, are not desired within the physical body. Uh, these things have already been uh, discussed and shared uh, numerous TED Talks. So, you know, sound is this force that can penetrate into the subconscious of an individual and, in essence, you know, shake loose the constraints holding their authenticity at bay whether those be from society or conditionings of uh, bringing through childhood you know traumas ensued uh, during a person's personal life path you know these are things they are meant to learn and explore and journey through and as humanity continues to expand the opportunity for us to help people rewrite or see themselves through sound it becomes more prevalent and more available, especially as more people become uh, accepting of it and receptive to it. Uh, that also has an effect, you know, the global consciousness's receptivity to the idea that sound could empower you and shift you and uh, enable you to thrive, you know. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, as you added the last piece of the collective unconscious or conscious, the believe it was Carl Jung originally coined the thing or got it popularized into the into the into the collective conscious that it's a, a psychological or I think it was a psychological experiment of the, the hundredth hundredth monkey or hundredth monkey that uh, mm -hmm. you can give a group of monkeys or primates uh, technology and then a different group of monkeys that have no way of physically communicating are able to learn that skill 
much faster or seemingly can pay, pay intuit it or pick up the ability at a much higher rate. And then there's also this other part of it that I don't think it's the same experiment, different, different but similar uh, scientific data that it's like you give people a group, like a group of people pictures of like hidden faces and however many there are hidden in the in the uh, picture. I can't remember exactly how many number there were, but the first group only finds however many they find, say it's five to 10 and there's 50 total. And then you give the same picture to a different group of people again who probably could theoretically commun have communicated together, but you, you picked a different country where they, there's no way that there would be an overlap in the uh, social fabric of those two groups that the second group, and as the, more and more people get exposed to it, that they just become better at seeing the hidden faces. Or another one would be that uh, as people have become better at taking IQ tests, that the average IQ has just slowly risen or rose over the years because the collective mind of humanity is just better at taking the tests. So just we be, are all becoming like the rising tide raises all the ships to the highest level that we're capable of achieving as a species. Indeed, indeed. And that, that is happening right now uh, with sacred geometry, with information regarding geometry frequency. Uh, Robert Edward Grant and his team have been unveiling information and new discoveries inside of the Great uh, Pyramid of Giza, inside the King's Chamber, that reflect the very thing you just mentioned of a rise in consciousness and elevation in consciousness uh, globally, collectively, allowing us to witness and recognize patterns inside of the King's Chamber that otherwise were perceived to not exist. And so uh, new discoveries of uh, different animals as above, so below, the zodiacs, all uh, inscribed in such a way inside the king's chamber that it required the, the ability to perceive it, to see it in the first place. And that, that ability to perceive was presented due to the information and the strive of humanity to better itself. All of this information is, uh, you know, around every sacred site. We've been staring at it forever, but you know, it's like one of those Chinese puzzles kind of thing. You, know, you don't know how to do it until you do it, and then you go, "Oh my God, it was that easy the whole time!" <laughs> right? You're uh, like, "Oh man, why cases, you know? figure it out." That's crazy. A lot of the things that you've talked about has been about personal, personal development. Uh, if I could say it in a way that uh, people who aren't extremely spiritual could digest it or understand it uh but that what i'm just curious you know, like what influenced you or inspired you to pursue that path in your life i tell people i went to the uh, school of life have you heard of it I, I, I heard not. Uh, life life the school okay. of life yeah. Hard knocks, huh? uh, that yeah yeah it's so, you know people often when they desire to study something they'll go to school and they'll they'll pursue that life path and career right i mine was just to live you know really be embraced in the experience of my own personal sovereignty and through that process of living and being receptive to experiences and lessons and you know, learning new things, I slowly discovered my truth. But, you know, aside from 
the very specific catalyst of uh, Christina's death. The other catalyst was uh, in Boise, Idaho, uh, at an event that I was at, where I had participated in what the experience collectively was. And uh, through that experience on uh, MDMA, I had a enlightening connection with what I would reference as to interstellar contact or contact with spirits or beings that I would perceive outside of myself. Mm-hmm. And I was presented the awareness of this practice I have cultivated becoming a conscious observer through witnessing my actions and, and interactions with those around me and having this dialogue while outside of my physical body energetically with spirits present within my physical body having these interactions with people very interesting dynamic for someone such as myself who has spent a large time of uh, in the field right is what i would call it of psychology and you know, studying humans through my travels and interactions and cultivating artistic expressions with humans, right? Really trying to understand humans and their complexity and simplicity simultaneously. And uh, through that through that journey really led me towards aspects of empowerment towards people. You know, if you ask the right question, you get the right answer. And if someone doesn't want to give an answer, then you've asked the right question. <laughs> So inevitably, action and inaction both can can serve as a representation of information being present, but it doesn't always mean so. You know, just because someone doesn't want their vehicle to be searched doesn't mean that they have substances or anything illicit within the vehicle, right? And that's kind of the idea behind this idea of sovereignty, like the right to have your own personal data available to you. And so when I say in the earlier, this essence of providing a vibrational container and through these modalities, dance, otherwise, uh, acroyoga, NLP, right? And really navigating these conversations to self-discovery. The reason why it's so effective is because we're empowering the individual with the awareness of their own personal data, like fully. And then being like, okay, what do you want to do with it? <laughs> Versus yeah. what we have seen within companies nowadays is just like, cool, hey, we have got access to your data and we're doing whatever we want with it. Uh, and, you know, sorry. <laughs> Oops. Right, yeah, yeah. The, the, whole, uh, the whole fact of the matter of the, the movie, The Social Network? No, that's the one about Facebook specifically. I can't remember the documentary that came out on Netflix, but it was about social media companies, how they were exposing through that documentary that the product of social media companies is you and your information and that they're using it to profit off of something that you're freely giving to them and that they're making however many billions or trillions of dollars from it because the convenience of being able to communicate across the the globe, face of the globe in an instant comes at the price of your personal sovereignty because that's just how valuable it is and we're, we're unaware of that for however many decades they got got it for free, but we're slowly becoming uh, conscious of that. And are, hopefully there will be the disrupting 
uh, technologies and the disrupting uh, or competing systems that come about and build parallel to and eventually surpass the tyranny of big business as it tries to squish all of the the little guys who are trying to fight back and help empower people the way that you and I are. Well, and so that's really where the element of uh, the production company I've developed and the clientele that I work with is working with these CEOs, working with these individuals that run these big companies uh, and working with these companies as a whole to redevelop the business structure of that of empowerment and prosperity. Inevitably, that's going to be the business structure of the future uh, because our society will collapse otherwise. And with that knowledge moving forward, it's, it's, it's kind of going to turn into either uh, join us or don't. <laughs> and, and the join us is help repair humanity, empower everyone, or you become the awareness of why humanity can't achieve it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I don't think anybody truly wants that burden, even if they are in their own selfish reasons for wanting to be number one online retailing store, such as Amazon, right? Like, uh, whatever the, those reasons are, inevitably, they're going to be forced with the reflection of the power that they have and what they're choosing to do with it. Uh, a really simple example is, is Mr. Beast. Um, YouTube star, uh, 200 million subscribers now, uh, within an hour, two hours time of releasing a video, he'll have 14 million views on the video. And he has used his success and financial abundance through the systems that YouTube has generated uh, with the assistance of Google and the monetization to create all sorts of philanthropy. And do things that companies of you know and governments and stuff have been you know resourcing and discussing and talking. Yeah. He just he just pops in and is like, hey, I just built a hundred wells in Africa, and hey, I just gave everyone a, a thousand people prosthetics, and I I just gave a thousand people eyesight, and I just gave a thousand people hearing, you know, and and he's not doing it to boast, yet he is doing it with the knowledge that it's going to cultivate views and generate financial abundance and that that's a necessity to continue doing it mm-hmm. uh, and so it's, it changes the dynamic it's it's no longer it's either money or heart you know the money and heart are walking hand in hand together and that balance and unity using finances in ways that empower and promote prosperity is going to be the only driving force forward in business as uh, we continue to evolve Oh yeah, the money is just a vehicle or a tool to get you to the destination and the intention is to be of service in a way that helps everyone, not only your bottom line or your your, your uh, not investors, but your board or investors' pockets, then it, yeah, it'll, it's getting there culturally. I, I, I never like to take any type of defeatist attitude in anything. I think that they're, I like to say that I'm, um, ominously uh, optimistic that there, things can always prefer to live in whatever the inverse of Murphy's law is that it could things could always be go better and improve overnight or that the future depends on this moment now the future depends I think it's on my, it's on my door right there but I can't see it's on the other side of the door but the 
present the future depends on what we do in the moment, something like that's a paraphrasing a Mahatma Gandhi quote. But I guess sort of in the in the spirit of financial abundance and the motif of the starving artist, do you feel like you're still in that phase? It might be too personal. Just tell me that I don't want to talk about it. Totally open and all right with that. I got plenty of no's in my life, but starving artist phase is something I'm feel like I'm slowly transitioning out of. Uh, I'm just curious if you find yourself there or if you're past there and if you have any wisdom for any of the artists or people that are listening as to how to quote unquote break free from the matrix, if you will. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I am currently uh, in a friend of mine's uh, bus on her property in Ramona, California. And this is, it would be what I equate to the version of a starving artist, right? And as I traveled through the 14 years of my journey of traveling since I left Alabama, I've always done it with the understanding that money would never be a hindrance. Right, it would never be something that stopped me from doing something. Uh, if anything, m- more motivation to cultivate it so that I can move forward, and that really led to the experience of comfortability with not having a significant amounts of finances, if sometimes any at all. And through that, I'm super grateful to have experienced what it was like to be in that state and I'm just as equally excited as I continue to grow more within my companies within the church's development within my own personal journey and within uh, what I offer others facilitating their own self-discovery I I really look forward to financial abundance you know and really walking the talk of empowerment and prosperity and the opportunity to do what someone like Mr. Beast has started doing and really use the the outlets available to me and the resources I'm able to cultivate through supporting evolution of clients uh, that can reciprocate uh, what we request financially. The ability to help people really big, you know, in really big ways. And and not have to try to struggle through it, you know, really be able to step up and and pay an entire team to go and help people that are in need and and make sure that everybody's fully reciprocated, feels empowered, and even goes above and beyond the standard of what you would typically, you know, see a company do. We pay bare, bare minimum and try to squeeze out everything from the person pay as much as the company can support with the desire for it to grow and evolve, knowing that the investment in its employees will yield greater financial prosperity for the company as a whole. And so that's like involves more sound healing and corporate offices, you know, getting corporate entities to really see the, the benefit of having their employees well taken care of <laughs> because uh, their their whole company will benefit from it they'll become a shining image for the new generation of business on the planet and then take and seize the opportunities as leaders uh, in this new perspective 
you know, business, any good businessman or businesswoman for that matter would jump on that opportunity. (laughs) And so it's simply a matter of clearing their field vibrationally so that they can see what is ahead and start making action to prepare for the future. Absolutely, man. I'd like to slowly try to come to the terms of the fact that I am a prophet or I'm able to be prophetic in, in a way, but I very much resonate with that that message that the tides and, and climates, if you will, are, are changing and that people will come to the awareness that things are evolving in every present moment, that every moment is unique, every day may be the same, but everything is historic and that we're living through, for better or worse, the best time to ever be a human being and that we have the capability of radically changing for the better and allowing not only humanity to flourish, but all life on the face of the planet and almost in a way returning to the foundation that our ancestors had of like respecting the the natural world and living in harmony with the natural world in a way, but doing so with some type of uh, balancing act or force with uh, technology, because I don't believe that the, unless the sun explodes and has some type of uh, EMP like effect, I don't think the internet's going anywhere anytime soon. Well, it's quite funny you say that actually. (laughs) Uh, So uh, are you familiar with the term micronova? I've, from the context, I could- It is as it sounds. Right, exactly. It's, it's a micro-nova. <laughs> an explosion from a sun, what would be significantly smaller than what we would call a nova explosion. And a micro-nova would be akin to releasing like thousands of times the radiation that the sun currently is emitting. So solar flares aside, which already have an effect directly with our technology, a.k.a. Elon Musk satellites, for Starlink at launch for one of their launches when released into space had malfunctions due to the solar flares interruption with their systems. Uh, This was a while back, I think last year it was. And and it's evident that humanity as a species is seeking to evolve its technology to be more universally incorporated whereas uh, its technology is currently specialized towards this earth, right? Like all the technology we have is like directed towards building things or moving things or altering things we find on earth. Yeah, or information. I mean, the Moore's law and everything is getting, it's getting smaller and faster uh, every two, every two years, uh, it's twi- twice as small, twice as fast as whatever the exact, uh, graph is yeah so yeah it's like centered around like the development of the species on this planet and so that our technology now is in the process of evolving into interplanetary technologies right um publicly publicly right these things have already been occurring but publicly it's beginning to be integrated and what that does is bring forth the awareness of and potentiality of something like a micronova happening from the sun 
actually destroying all of our technologies. Uh, there is a, a YouTube channel, uh, Conscious Observers, that watches the sun every single day. <laughs> and they watch for solar flares. They have like an alarm system uh, that can indicate when a solar flare is coming to like you know, protect electronic devices, etc. Uh, they have also been observing consistent patterns within the sun and have uh, identified 22,000-year cycles, specific cycles related to the sun and Earth and its own transformation or cataclysmic, you know, habitat resetting ex type experiences like a meteor or an ice age, etc. And then falling very specifically on these patterns of years, like 22,000 years that they have been observing and discovered, and that it would go to say, in the very near future, one of those patterns is coming to a completion. And the potentiality of a micronova from our sun is actually uh, very prevalent. And uh, there has been documented what are the carvings, tablets that uh, reference some type of like uh, sun angel like energy or like uh, an eclipse of the sun and it looks to be a, some type of phoenix. And so there's there one can say there's many possibilities and potentialities the involvement of another planet in our solar system and its gravitational field could potentially uh, disrupt the sun and its functionality and catalyze some type of micronova occurring, which indeed would wipe all of our technology out almost instantaneously with the exception of perhaps some military technology that we're not aware of. And that would that would be almost akin to the equivalent of mass chaos on the entire planet. I mean, we saw what happened just with COVID, and luckily we had our technologies to occupy us. Mm -hmm. But many people, had they not, imagine what would have occurred. So it's very it's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, we're getting close to the hour mark here, so I'm going to. I'm definitely going to leave the door open for future conversations, obviously. I'm not going to say one and done because that would be silly. But the final question that I like to end on was something that I was gifted from a, a different podcast that I listened to, the uh, Paul Check, Living Paul Check, Living 4D with Paul Check, to be specific. Um, and it is God, God willing, hopefully not, that I finish hang up the phone or finish hitting the record button again and stopping the recording. If we were to cease to exist, die, end our, this would be the final period in our life story here. What nugget of wisdom or quote or thought would you like to leave? If you could beam it into the 7 billion brains or 8 billion brains that are on or out here um, on the earth doing their thing, what would you want to leave as your final message? for humanity the experience of being a human is just that an experience and to enjoy the experience in its entirety for the simple sake that the choice was made to jump on the ride you know 
Uh, if if a person is you know existing in a physical body known and referred to as a human, then uh, they they made a choice as a soul or energy or spirit to uh, be here and to uh, to enjoy the ride, just enjoy it, participate mm-hmm. and allow simultaneously. And there's a divine order to all things as life continues to move forward and just loving the aspect of having the ability to participate in it. Oh, um, I guess what arose in my consciousness as you were saying your, your beautiful piece was that, that through the highs and the lows and the suffering and the ecstasy of the, the joys, there is no feel all of your feelings and experience everything with humility and gratitude because we don't have a guarantee for a tomorrow and the past is more or less immutable um and quantum physics says that it's all happening simultaneously and that the observer effect you can go back and change the, the spin of quanta or quarks or photons by observing it in, in the present but that we don't have time machines, so for the present moment, don't feel the need to medicate or be avoidant of the things that are sometimes seen as icky or scary because that's on the other side of fear and, the other, and from the darkness, you will, every time that I've gone in it and come back out of it, I've left with a fistful of jewels and that, that wisdom and the growth is in the things that you're uncomfortable with yeah definitely that's that's it you know i uh i used to kind of tell people uh bring a bring a little cord with you as you go into the cave uh, and so that you can find your way back out right Mm -hmm. and uh now it's more of an option you know someone can go into the darkness into the cave without the desire to come back towards where they you know entered and uh there's the hope and possibility that there's another opening on the other side that, you know, might lead to something else. And, uh, but that's, you know, that's a risk. Uh, and so really empowering people to look forward to the opportunity to step into something that may be very unfamiliar with tr- a greater trust uh, as their intuition is guiding them to do it. All right, people, you heard, you heard it here. Trust your intuition and don't be afraid of the dark too much. That's our time. And I love and appreciate anybody who's took the time out of their day, busy lives to listen to our my podcast here, our, our conversation. And until next time, thank you.